1: Hour number two underway now. Ten minutes past ten o'clock on this Monday. It is the 21st morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, I just asked Jim Jordan about 2020 coming to a close, if he expects things to get better after the flip of the calendar. If you do, I suggest you uh, rethink your position. 2021 is not going to be any better until we actually get our elected officials to do things differently than they did in 2020. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about the reactions to and the protocols demanded and the uh, orders given in reaction to the Chinese coronavirus. The Chinese coronavirus wasn't the only thing that destroyed 2020. There were many other factors, including nefarious uh, actions being taken by political uh, politically elected officials and others. So don't just think that it's going to be better in 2021. You know the definition of insanity. It's repeating the same act over and over and over again and expecting a different result. If we don't do anything differently in 2021, we will get the same negative result. Now, having said all of that, I want to go back to, or actually rather I want to pivot to and go back to something that we talked about at some length last week, particularly on Thursday and Friday last week. I want to go to state politics now. I want to go to state issues now. Um, I was uh, really, really, really um, disappointed Angered and enraged last week, quite frankly, by the actions of some of our Republican state leaders in Columbus. Particularly because, um, they lied. Uh, they promised, uh, to do whatever they had to do to revoke some of the unilateral power of the governor and the health director and give it to the people by way of their representatives, by way of the General Assembly in the state of Ohio. They promised. And they passed, the General Assembly did pass Senate Bill 311, which was extraordinarily important, a huge step in doing so. Passed the Senate, passed the House, and then was vetoed by Governor Mike DeWine. The Senate President, Larry Aboff, promised to hold a vote to override that veto and said earlier in this month that he had the votes. Then two, we- one week went by, two weeks went by, two and a half weeks have gone by now, and no vote has been called. Larry Aboff lied to the people of this state. Larry Aboff has no intention whatsoever of giving the people back some of their liberty and some of their control, right? So I went on a pretty extended rant about that, and I'm still ranting about it until Larry Abov speaks and explains himself. Maybe there's a good reason. Maybe it wasn't just pure political theater. Maybe it wasn't just personal greed looking for a position after he is forced out due to term limits from the uh, Ohio Senate. Uh, uh, to get a, uh, an appointment from Mike DeWine. Maybe it has nothing to do with any of the above. Maybe we all owe Larry Abhoff a big apology. I don't think so, though, because he refuses to answer the questions about why he refused to call that vote. So I want to share this final thought on that with you before I get to the good news of the Ohio General Assembly and the work that they did at the end of the week. First, I got an email from uh, somebody that I respect and somebody I've had on this program as a guest. I'm not going to identify him because he didn't really say whether this is for the record or not. So I'm going to assume it's private, but I'm going to share some of it with you without ed- identifying this person. Uh, President Obhoff has been this um, selected versions or uh, sections, by the way, of this email because it's too long otherwise. President Abhoff writes, the letter writer, uh, has been the steady hand in Ohio while the House has lost two speakers to corruption scandals, has not had a speaker for months on end, had an AWOL governor running for president, etc. Through it all, President Abhoff has been conservative, uh, one solid, has been conservatives, one solid and consistent friend. So what changed? Maybe nothing, he wrote. A look at the House votes in the last two weeks and on other issues makes that point pretty strongly. But set that aside and assume that Aboff, who has been the best of friends for 10 years, has become suddenly our enemy. Why would he do that? Why would this happen? Uh, as someone who has done the job of a lobbyist for 20 years, I have seen this happen many times before. Strong friend after strong friend suddenly stabs us in the back and sides with the anti-gun Governor Voinovich or Taft or Kasich, DeWine. Senate presidents, you suddenly do anything and everything to protect the governor. So to your point about being frustrated and angry, welcome to the show. But after 20 years plus, you are dealing with the symptom not uh, while ignoring the disease. Don't rage on the man, but rather the system that built the man and is building the next few while you and others rage on a man that won't even be there in two weeks. The Senate president at the end of his term is out of a job unless he is appointed by the governor to a vacant position. So man after man has compromised his principles to cozy up to the governor and be owed that appointment. And it works. That's why they keep doing it. The reason this happens is simple, term limits. It is the vice that squeezes a good man into submission. I voted for them, worst vote I've ever cast. My point is people don't understand that. You're a powerful voice who can reach people if you want to make a real difference, not just about this battle, but reshape the war. Then help people understand we need to get rid of, not protect term limits. Without this change, nothing will ever solve the problem that is angering you and your listeners. Um, and uh, we'll be, I'm sorry, uh, and we'll, be, we'll come and back lame ducks after lame ducks forever. Merry Christmas. So, uh, again, without identifying the individual, the later writer, I want to address a few of the points here. Number one, I could not possibly disagree more. Could not possibly disagree more with the issue of term limits. Term limits are absolutely 100% called for in the House, or I beg your pardon, at the state level and at the federal level. The United States Congress should not have people who make careers and lives out of being elected officials. They just should not. It was never meant to be that way. Or at least it shouldn't have been. I believe term limits hold people accountable. If there are no term limits, for goodness sakes, um, You know, then you have people who can just continue to ride uh, lobbyists and uh, campaign contributions from special interest groups to term after term after term after term, never doing anything for their people, but getting the support they need from the special financially, mostly and vote wise from special interest groups. I do not believe that unlimited terms is is a positive thing for state or federal government. So, number one, I just could not disagree more. Number two, as it pertains to this particular term-limited pre- Senate president, I, I find it um, astounding that the letter writer said to me that man after man after man has cozied up to the governor and surrendered their own principles to get a plum appointment from the governor once their term is up. As if to say that, well, since these evil term limits are there, it's okay if they abandon the people that voted for them, the constituency that voted for them, in order to protect their own A uh, after they come in in office. Career politicians are the problem here. This man, Larry Aboff, isn't any more entitled to a plum political appointment any more than he is a new term as an elected official. If his term as an elected official ends, go get a real job. Go join the rest of us. You don't have to stay in government by getting an appointment from the governor. I find it astounding that anybody would say this is okay for man after man after man to compromise his principles, to cozy up to the governor, and be owed an appointment from the governor. And the letter writer wrote, it works. That's why they keep doing it. And that's my point. It does work. And it has to stop. It absolutely has to stop. And the only way it stops is for one man to take a stand and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the next outgoing term limited leader to sell out the people that voted for me. Also, that I can get an appointment from the governor. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be the one guy who stands up and says, I'm going to do what the people have elected me to do, what the people want me to do. Our representative, our, our General Assembly, the representatives of the people, the senators and the House members in Columbus, passed a bill to limit the powers of one man in the event of an emergency, health emergency or otherwise. Our representatives or the representatives of the people have said they, the people want to say in what is done in response to a potential health crisis. They don't want to be under the, the authoritarian dictatorial thumb of one outsized ego, which in this particular case happens to belong to Mike DeWine. The people want to say, and they have said so through their representation. And how dare I not give them the opportunity to override that outsized ego that dictatorial authoritarian little tyrants, veto. How do we not give them a chance to to take some of their own liberties back? That's what it will take to end this. You're saying, don't fight the battle, look at the war. No, this battle would have a great impact on the outcome of the war, to my letter-writing friend. This battle is that important. And Larry Aboff essentially surrendered, waved the white flag, and would not allow the people to have their say by way of this vote. So to me, you know, Larry Obhoff's enduring legacy isn't going to be one of a great friend to conservatives because of things that he has done positively in the past. His legacy is going to be one of weakness. His legacy is going to be one of impotence. His legacy is going to be one of greed. If especially he takes a job from Mike DeWine after he is out of office. If he takes a job from Mike DeWine, we'll know exactly what changed his mind. It was back on December 3rd that he declared to the media, I will have the votes, we have the votes to override this, and we will hold that vote. And here we are on December 21st. He never held it. What changed his mind? And if it was indeed a potential appointment from Governor Mike DeWine, like I said, his legacy will be that. that It'll be trashed forever. And rightfully so. I don't care what else he did that was good. Now, Having clarified and said all of that, I do want to shine a positive light on the Ohio General Assembly for something else that they did. This was a big deal. What they did at the end of last week in making Ohio the 36th state, that's provided our Weasley little governor signs it. But they passed it out of both the House and the Senate to make Ohio the 36th state to allow people who are endangered by criminal activity to stand their ground and not have to flee in the hopes of not getting shot in the back. Ohioans can protect and defend themselves and their property without having to run and hide hoping that they are successful in escaping the violence first. It's a huge deal. The liberals are screaming over this. I will tell you why, and I'll tell you how important this is. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, so if you are not yet on Parlor, which is a social media app that uh, so many conservatives, millions of us, that's not an exaggeration. Literally millions of us around America have turned to and replace uh, in uh, in place of Twitter. We have abandoned the Twitter profile slash platform. Uh, we are not engaging in their censorship any longer. We're not allowing them to dictate terms, not allowing them to tell us what's real and what isn't real and what's fact-checked uh, by a bunch of liberal liars uh, that shouldn't be uh, allowed to appear on their platforms, etc. We're done with it. So if you're on Parlor, you're going to want to go there and follow me at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, and you'll see my most recent post, which I just made during the break. And in summary of what I just was talking about with the Stand Your Ground bill that has passed the Ohio General Assembly and is now on its way to Mike DeWine. Here's what I wrote. I apologize not for the language. It's about damn time, Ohio. No one should have to resort to running and hiding, hoping they don't get shot in the back, when being victimized by a violent criminal. If your life or your safety is in jeopardy, or that of others around you, you absolutely have the right to end that threat immediately. Hide and seek should not be a component of trying to survive a violent crime. Time to sign, no spine to whine. That's my little rhyme uh, uh, to wrap that up. And I put the story there from Cleveland.com, and I want to share a minute of this with you. Cleveland.com is, uh, you know, their headline is Ohio uh, House Passes Stand Your Ground Bill After Emotional Debate. And they've spent probably two-thirds, yeah, two-thirds to three-quarters of the article listening to and posting the whining and the crying of Ohio House Democrats about Stand Your Ground, who think that people should have to run and flee in their homes, hide in the closet, while people ransack their home and do Lord knows what to others in their house. That's how they feel. State Representative Kyle Kohler, Springfield Republican, said law-abiding should not be uh, in a life-or-death situation, should not in a life-or-death situation, need to decide. I think they missed a word there. It should be citizens. Law-abiding citizens should not, in a life-or-death situation, need to decide if they could run away from the place where they're lawfully allowed to be. He noted that 35 other states already have a no-duty-to-retreat law, including all of Ohio's neighboring states. But here we go. Several Democrat House members sharply spoke against the Stand Your Ground measure, saying it will result in more violence and death, particularly against minorities without reducing assaults or robberies. Now, I find that fascinating. Why would Ohio Democrats argue that a stand-your-ground law would disproportionately impact minorities? Because if you ask me, that is an extraordinarily racist statement. Because what they are suggesting is that it's, it's the majority of minorities that will be committing these potentially violent crimes and shot by would-be and would-not-be-victims. They're literally saying that minorities are going to feel the brunt of this. Are they legitimately saying that they believe that's because minorities are more prone to be criminals? It's exactly what it sounds like. This is not funny. It is not cute, said State Representative Stephanie House, a Cleveland Democrat, two House Republicans. Most of y'all don't even represent enough black people to even have an informed decision. And then when people give you facts, facts, it's like we don't care as long as the NRA is happy, I'm good. Uh, this has zero to do with the NRA, Stephanie House. Zero. And you don't have to represent black people to make an informed decision. Because it's not about black people, nor white people, nor any other color of people. It's about people. It's about criminals and victims. Victims have a right to not be victimized. And they shouldn't have to go and hide hoping that they don't become victimized before they defend themselves. House asked Kohler how many minorities were in his district, as if, again, that matters. In 2018, um, when uh, the House debated a similar stand-your-ground measure, Stephanie House only raised similar objections, only to be gaveled out out of order by then-House Speaker Ryan Smith. House Minority Leader Emma Amelia Sykes, an Akron Democrat, told Republicans that when Democrats raise their voice about stand-your-ground, it is coming from a place of pure fear and hurt. Why is it a place of pure fear and hurt for minorities? Unless you are also saying, Amelia Sykes, the same things that Stephanie House is saying, and that is that minorities are the ones who commit the majority of the crimes that would lead to Stand Your Ground um, encounters. Why are you so racist, Stephanie House? Why are you so racist, Amelia Sykes? Why are you saying that more minorities will be harmed by stand-your-ground laws in which potential victims would actually be fighting back against their attackers? You are assuming and stating, a little bit silly, but not so much, that the majority of attackers will be minorities. That is an astounding statement. One based in pure racism. You are essentially stating that more brown people will attack more victims than, uh, than, uh, than will white people, and thus be subject to encounters in stand-your-ground circumstances. Uh, I'll end this segment by saying what I said in my tweet, or not a tweet, I'm sorry, my parlay on parlor. It's time to sign, Mike DeWine. He of no spine, it's time to sign. Stand your ground in Ohio. Should be a no-brainer. Make it happen. Coming up, after the news, we're going to talk to Leo Homan about the Biden-Harris-Democrat attack on your First Amendment rights if you are a conservative Christian. That's right, Christians. You keep your Christian views and your dogma to yourselves, or there will be punishment for all. That's coming up next on AM 1420, The
2: Answer.
0: sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All
1: right, 1038 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So I talked about this in uh, moderate depth, I guess, maybe a little less than that, a little shallow with uh, Dr. Everett Piper, because we didn't have a ton of time on uh, Thursday's program when I first saw this on LeoHoman.com, And I wanted to get in much more depth on it today. And uh, to do that, I wanted to bring Leo Homan, investigative reporter, uh, into this whole thing. But it's the Secular Democrats of America Memo, a 28-page document that has been backed by congressional Democrats. Congressional, meaning elected officials um, it's a document that has been written and sent to the Biden transition team, the Biden Harris team, advising them to take away the First Amendment rights. Now, I can just stop there and say, and have your jaw drop. Wait a minute, what? Take away the First Amendment rights from whom? And the answer is from Christians. Not all Christians necessarily, but particularly conservative Christians who voted for Donald Trump. Literally, that is in the 28 page document. Any Christians who advocate, for traditional biblical positions on the sanctity of life, marriage, education, and the nuclear family, among other things. This has been presented by elected officials, elected Democrats, and has been approved of and supported by many others. Just a few of the names for you. Jared Huffman, Jamie Raskin, uh, Dan Kildee from Michigan, uh, Steve, it's just names you might know. Steve Cohen from Tennessee, uh, Jay Powell from Washington, Hank Johnson, Captain Guam himself from Georgia, and, yes, of course, Sharia Talib, also from Michigan, among the more prominent names, pushing this censorship of conservative Christianity in America. And joining us now to discuss, as mentioned, investigative reporter on refugees, global migration, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and where politics, culture, and religion intersect. That's Leo Homan, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Mr. Homan, good to have you back on the program here in Cleveland. How are you?
3: I'm very good, Bob. Thanks for having me on today.
1: It's a staggering report that I read. Um, you know, the document itself, but I think you did a great job uh, on the website LeoHoman.com, of kind of summarizing it so we don't have to read all 28 pages of mind-numbing Marxism uh, and beyond. Um, let's talk a little bit about this. And first, let's talk about the group, if we can. What can you tell us, Leo, about secular the secular Democrats of America? Well, uh,
3: this group is... You know, first of all, they call themselves a, a, uh, a secular humanist type organization, Secular Democrats of America, but they have forged a very strong partnership with members of Congress. Um, you know, Congress has the Congressional Black Caucus, the uh, Progressive Caucus, the Freedom Caucus. Well, now they have something called the Free Thought uh, Caucus. You know, in in essence, it's the Atheist Caucus. We have, now have an Atheist Caucus in the United States Congress. Who knew? Um, and uh, they have about 15 members in this caucus. You've named some of them. Um, and they're partnering with this group, Secular Democrats of America. And this group has been around. It, Jamie Raskin is one of the, the, the prime members of it. He's also the congressman. His father, uh, Marcus Raskin, was a uh, very known Marxist back in the 80s. He was one of the uh, original members of the uh, Institute for Policy Studies. when Back when uh, Ronald Reagan was trying to... Uh, foment C- the end of the Soviet Union and pr- open up the wall and bring down the Berlin Wall. Uh, Marcus Raskin was working against him, hobnobbing with various Soviet uh, communists. And so Jamie comes by it very honestly, heading this group up. Um, and you can l- research the others. They have his uh, equally nefarious background. But they're trying to... Uh, what they're doing is it's just a, a brand new... Uh, turn on the same old communist doctrine. Communists love to make lists. They're very good and very efficient at naming their enemies, making lists, and going after them. And that's what this document is all about. It's not concerned about Christians per se. They're very precise when they name the enemy in this document as being the, quote, religious right, which all you have to do to be a member of the religious right in their eyes is be a, uh, against abortion against uh, radical LGBTQ right uh, you know you're, you're not comfortable with um, drag queen story hours at your local library for toddlers um, you know you're for the Second Amendment if you believe in these things you're the religious right and guess what that makes you in the eyes of this organization a white nationalist of course and as I point out in the document, you could be black. You could be an African-American who goes to a conservative uh, African-American church. And you would also be classified by these folks as a white nationalist or a white supremacist because you are pushing the doctrines of the white man. Uh, all it takes is a biblical worldview. It doesn't matter your skin color. That's all just a ruse, okay? They love to inject the race card, but it has nothing to do with that. It's all about what you stand for and, and, and bringing in this um, great reset that they're talking about at the global level. They're just doing their part. They're being great uh, role players, stooges here for the, uh, for the great reset, as, and I'm sure you've done some shows on that.
1: Well, yes, definitely, especially after uh, Justin Trudeau <laughs> up to our north in America's attic uh, said that this is a time that COVID-19 gives us an opportunity for the beginning of the Great Reset to essentially redistribute all property, all wealth, provide everything to the collective, and to be distributed uh, equitably, uh, as they like to say, which is different than equally. Equity is different than equality, which is, of course, an extraordinary part of that. Leah, let me go back to... Some of the text uh, of the 28-page document that you highlight on leohoman.com. The constant entanglement of religious religion and government, promoted by the religious right and intensified by the Trump administration, sweeps far beyond hot-button culture war issues like abortion and contraception. It permeates every aspect of government policy health care, public and private education, foreign policy, tax policy, uh, environmental policy, military policy, and more, all of which will be addressed in this document. And then as you note, it goes on uh, to support the most draconian governmental responses to the COVID-19 virus and to climate change, which sounds similar to the Great Reset that we are talking about, which is, you know, the global social, social and economic order. So, what exactly are they asking, because that's a broad statement with some specifics contained within, what, Leo Holman, are they asking Joe Biden to do, either in the transition phase or to begin in the transition phase uh, and into, you know, uh, after January 20th when he officially takes office, if that is the way things go?
3: Okay, for starters, they want to clamp down on the use of uh, certain groups, the religious right. They want to clamp down on their First Amendment rights. Um,
1: by way of what? By way of social media?
3: By way of social media. What we've already seen going on on the major social media platforms, they want to uh, ramp that up considerably. Um, you will basically be kicked off of all social media platforms. I've already documented where this is being discussed by <coughs> excuse me, uh, the fusion centers, uh, one in... California in particular, has already had discussions. They're getting their information, I believe, through the FBI. These federal fusion centers always get most of their information from the FBI. Uh, They've already been discussing, I have an article on my website, about the three major alternative social media websites, which are Parler, MeWe, and Gab. They're very afraid of these websites uh, rising up as an alternative to Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And um, they're already talking among themselves about the need to clamp down on these websites should Biden get elected. And one of the major things, the things that they're most concerned about uh, among the conservatives right now using these alternative platforms is our response to the COVID-19, calling out the lies. You you know, this whole thing now is just lies piled on top of lies when it it regards uh, COVID-19's government response. And the other thing that, they're, that, they want, that they are very fearful of is the truth getting out about how this election was stolen. And so they want to de us in spades, much more than they already have. Uh, and the second thing they want to do is, is re-educate us. If you've been defined as one of these right-wing uh, white nationalist zealots, you need to be put into a government re-education program, and they're calling for allocation of funds. Uh, they're calling on Biden to... Uh, seek some new funding for that. So it really is very aggressive. Uh, This is communism. There's no other way. You know, people talk about, you know, America will never be a socialist nation. Well, my opinion is we're already a soft socialist nation. This is going to make us a communist nation.
1: When you say Leo Holman um, re-education programs, is that a gentle euphemism for camps?
3: Now that I don't know, they don't they don't go so far as to call them camps, uh, but you know they. Use Trevor Loudon
1: pieces. did though. Trevor Loudon did in in your in your piece, uh, uh, Trevor Loudon, author and filmmaker, in your piece on leahoman.com when talking right. about this, he used that word. I wondered if you supported it. Um, in fact, let me let me just read this I, I, other so that portion is, of that's
3: it. Trevor's opinion, and, and yeah. I tend to think I tend to think that he is correct. Okay, uh, but but they don't use the word camps in the document. I, they leave. Well, it they, up couldn't. they couldn't.
1: Stage. They could. They couldn't. I mean, we're 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 already those of us who actually are paying attention to the to the threat that that communist China p- uh, poses to the United States and, quite frankly, to the entire Western world. Um, we're already very keenly aware of the re-education camps of the, the Uyghur Muslims in China. So, you know, they're not going to use that word. It doesn't mean it isn't what they mean. They just can't use that word because they know what it's going to connotate. It's going to connotate the Holocaust. And obviously, like I said, what's going on in China right now. Um, but Leo, let me read this other part of the 28-page document. Very short here. It's included in your, in your piece. We urge you not to underestimate the institutional strength of what we refer to interchangeably in this document as the Christian nationalist movement or the religious right. Its extreme and sectarian agenda is on constant display under the Trump-Pence administration. Its political ideology is anti-democratic and anti-scientific. It provides constant cover for white supremacy. So you mentioned that word in the very early going. There, you don't even have to be white to be a white supremacist or a white nationalist. No, if you're, you're black and you go cover. to a Christian church, you could
3: easily be a black person and be providing cover for right. white supremacy in their eyes.
1: Right, which is which is just astounding. So you know when when we and I want to read the last line here, uh, and this is important as well. This is now quoting Trevor Loudon. He said, from their perspective, these are dangerous people. They're racists, they're nationalists, and they really need to be reprogrammed. And there needs to be programs developed to do that, to deprogram them. So when I hear deprogramming, you know, he doesn't have to say the word camps, and they don't have to say the word camps, but I hear and read re-education camps here. This is exactly what they're talking about, and I do not considering, again, that they are ignoring or silently... They are complicit with the the um, goals and agenda of the communist Chinese. Uh, that's what communists do. They do embo- they do uh, embrace things like re-education camps to make sure that no one can practice free thinking and run and especially spread messages that are counter to the agenda of you know the the the, the all powerful government. Absolutely, Bob. You
3: know the. If we had to define communism in its essence, in its core, uh, in one simple phrase, what would it be? It's a one-party state. It's a one-party state, and everyone must bow to that one-party state. You, you can't have any, idea, any competing ideologies. So any ideology that conflicts uh, with the ideas of the one uh, uh, sanctioned ideology must be brutally repressed. And they start out saying, okay, we'll give you a chance to reform your views and come into compliance with the one-party state. Uh, This is a peaceful thing. Just check into this camp or classroom or, you know, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, so you'll be given a chance to um, change your views. Remember, Hillary Clinton said, and I, I believe I included this video in the article, Hillary Clinton said people who hold to these archaic religious views must change their views, And so, you know, Hillary was supposed to finish the job and bring us in under the communist system. Donald Trump somehow upended that, and they're not gonna allow him to get in there for a second term because Biden is their man. He's going to finish the job. This is not just another normal election. You concede and you uh, gear up again for four years from now in 2024. No, this is it, folks. We must make our last stand here. This is the hill to die on because they have already told us in their own words. All we have to do is listen to them, what they have in store for us, for us people who won't comply, won't conform uh, to the views of the one party state.
1: Leo Homan, uh, I want everybody to read this article. it is uh, I've put it on my parlor account uh, at France radio. I want people to read this account from Leo It is extraordinarily dangerous and Leo Homan, I appreciate you coming on to sound the alarm and let's stay in touch about this. Thank you so much for your time Absolutely thank you Bob. Thank you God bless and Merry Christmas 10:53 right back after this. Just get there.
2: Hi, this is Richard Power, Senior Pastor of the Grace Baptist Church in the city of Brunswick. Over the past few years, we have enjoyed giving our church family and our neighbors and friends the opportunity to come to a beautiful Christmas Eve service with a twist. The twist is, we have our Christmas Eve service on December 23rd. This year, to help promote safety and wellness during Christmas week, we're going to provide our Eve of Christmas Eve service virtually from our worship center here in Brunswick. The live stream will begin at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening, December 23rd. We'll have beautiful live music, a special storybook time for the kids, and a simple message about the greatest gift of all. We hope you'll join us for a wonderful hour celebration on December 23rd at 7 o'clock. You'll find the live stream on our Grace Baptist Church Brunswick, Ohio Facebook page or by visiting our website at gbcheartline.org. Come celebrate the Savior with us because if ever there was a year when we needed a little Christmas. You know, I didn't get a chance
1: to uh, bring this up to uh, Leo Holman, but he talked about how um, chief among the goals of the Democrat, sec, uh, de- secular Democrats of America, rather, uh, in this 28 page document is to silence conservative voices. You heard me ask him, you mean by way of social media? And he said, yes, among other things. And um, as if to prove the point, over the weekend, I became aware of an op-ed that was written by Basketball Hall of Famer, all-time leading scorer and far-left radical Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has become a pretty prominent voice among former athletes in uh, leftist politics in recent years. And uh, it was just over the weekend that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar again wrote an op-ed that says: What? It says that big tech social media giants should censor and deplatform conservative celebrities, such as J- James Woods and John Voigt. Now, mind you, Twitter and Facebook and the other giant platforms that he's talking about are dominated by liberal celebrities. Liberal celebrities, let your voice be heard. Conservative celebrities, get off of our Internet. That's literally what Kareem is calling for. And he's not alone. He's just a big voice and not because he's seven foot three. He's very, very well respected in the leftist community. And he is openly calling for the censorship and thus the, the removal or restriction of First Amendment rights from people who disagree with him. I just I want you to ponder that. He wrote this for, and by the way, could it be any more ironic? You know the publication he wrote this for? The Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood, which is filled with liberal celebrities that dominate social media. That's where he wrote the piece saying conservative celebrities should be silenced. He agrees with the secular Democrats of America. I'll tell you again, since the show is ending, if you're not on it, get on it. Get on Parlor.com. P-A-R-L-E-R. Parlor is the website. It's the social media platform that conservatives are now Enjoy flocking to. Join me there at France Radio, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.